the rise and fall of your day can be as drastic as a waterfall in high current or as simple as a stream without much push at all. Your experiences can carve the riverbed if they are fluid enough to continue the journey. But with all we touch in our passing, we leave a little piece of ourselves, some bright and colorful, some cold and dark, but each with its own purpose, to exploit a wound and call for healing, to celebrate the magic of creation, to absorb a lesson and develop deeply, to witness a need and feel the void. To grace opportunity with courage, to transfer energy into smiles, to splash our cores out of the river altogether so that life can simply have a drink. I am Heath Armstrong, and this is Never Stop Peaking. It's depressing like a dimple on your butt. If you behave, you'll get a nickel you can spend on stuff. And in time, you'll get a dime if you impress your boss. So you can buy some more stuff just to numb your thoughts. You've been a space-driven higgity hunk of me since birth. Flying through the universe on a rock called Earth. Composed of stardust with an emotional gut. Why you letting conformity slam you up the butt? You're not one fucks, two fucks, red fucks, blue fucks. You can play duck hunt and wait around for luck. Or you can rent a big truck and drive your vision. Build a palace to the moon. Your schmuck friends piss their pants Get up and dance, rocket ship that booty Take a chance for your freedom, miggity milk that booby Cause when the fear attacks, it tries to crack What you're thinking? Fuck no, you'll never stop peeking Yeah! Yeah! What up, playboy? What up, playgirl? What's up, beautiful people? This has never stopped peaking on the subject line of that. I feel like it's important to kind of highlight the fact that in the journey of getting to a point where we're constantly going up, we're constantly getting high, we're constantly reaching peak level, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not facing mass, mass, mass forces of resistance and procrastination and fear. There are a lot of dips when you're climbing mountains. There are a lot of dips when you're flying airplanes. You have to come down once you go up. You have to come down before you go back up. These periods are scary. These periods are dark. These periods can make us feel so alone. We don't know who to go to. We don't know what resources to involve ourselves with. It may feel like pain in the form of the body. It may feel like cloudiness in the form of the head. It may feel crippling to your creativity. It's okay to be in these dips. You are experiencing depression. You're experiencing loneliness. You don't feel good enough. You are a victim. You are self-judging. Or you are having the best time of your life. You are having the worst time of your life. You're fucking lost. You're a wreck. Or you're glowing. What happens in your head? What happens when you pull yourself out and you witness that it's in your head? It's up to you to decide how you view yourself 
and how you use your feelings and how all of that energy fuels your actions. Embrace being fucked up. Embrace being weird. Embrace not fitting into the fucking box. Use it as fuel. Use your pain as fire to light yourself up. Hold yourself to a higher standard and others will fall into a line of respect for you. They will either follow you or they're going to run from you. And those who run don't need to be in your life anyway. They will support you or they will criticize you. Those who criticize you will never be the type that you want to be around anyway. How will you decide to interpret your current circumstance forever? This is going to define whether or not you find success or you fail. And failing is just more and more and more of the universe saying, fuck, man, be weird, be yourself, do that thing that you want to do. Quit listening to all these weird fucking people around you. We're going to show you how hard it is to get there. But man, this is a fucking reminder. Fail. Feel this. Fail. Because you're learning something that you can't see the big picture of. This can be a gift or a curse. You determine which one that it is. It doesn't matter who left you. It doesn't matter who stabbed you in the back. It doesn't matter who fucked you over in the business. It doesn't matter how much you fucked up. It doesn't matter if the doctor stuck his finger in your ass during your physical and not your buddies who was there the same day. It does not matter how little you feel like you've accomplished. You've got a gift. Let it be close to your heart. Let it break you open, not break you down. You're going to learn from this. It's going to influence your self-image. How you see the world around you and how others start seeing you, it changes. Not because you are trying to force it, but because you are raising yourself to a higher standard. Woo, doggy. When I was in Lexington, living in the house that I used to own there, I often am reminded of a something that happened with a neighbor of mine on terms of resistance. Now, you all know I've struggled with substance in the past. Um, a lot of people that I talk to on this show have. A lot of people in the world do in some way. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's addiction to sex, whether it's your cell phone that you won't put down out of the fucking forefront of your eyeballs. There's addiction everywhere. And our ability to disconnect from those addictions is what allows us to open up space to become the higher version of ourselves because it allows space for things that support the higher version of ourselves and not space for the distractions that we put in place. I had a neighbor and his name was Marty. Marty was married to, I think he was married. I'm not sure if it was long-term or what, to the lady that lived next door. And there were three kids that lived at that house, all very nice people, but I don't think any of them were actually Marty's kids. I'm not sure about that. But Marty was a plumber. Marty came over one day because we had problem with the drain in the basement, and you know we'd just call him over and pay him a little bit of money uh, to to fix something. And he came over one day and, Marty didn't give a fuck, I'll tell you that much. But he he was he was doing his best to be the best version of himself, and I could tell. 
But I didn't know a lot about Marty. And as Marty is draining the the clog in the, the sump or whatever the hell it was in my basement, there was a refrigerator in the same room. Now, I had a, cu- a customer who had offloaded a shit ton of moonshine to me at that time. Now, in the mountains of eastern Kentucky, that's like water. And this guy would just sit there and fucking do ball and things all day, like clean his guns and make moonshine. And one day he offloaded like 12 quarts of clear first run moonshine to me. And I didn't know what to do with all of it. Cause one, like, fuck that shit is harsh. And two, it was just so much one day of a hangover off that stuff. And you never want to drink again. And I had already gotten to that point. I didn't want to touch the stuff, but I had a bunch of it in my fridge. Cause I had mixed it all down to different flavors. I tried to give it all away and it was just so much left over. And after Marty got done, um, basically pumping the sump or whatever, he, he, he didn't actually successfully get this drain unclogged. And I, I had 20 bucks and I was like, here, man, here's 20 bucks. I'm, I wish I had more for you coming over here with your equipment and trying, but like he had noticed that there was moonshine in the fridge. And he was like, well, man, I'll... he was looking at it weird though. And I was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll just take that 20 bucks and one of them quarts of moonshine. That'd be good with me. I was like, all right, Marty, whatever. Like take as much moonshine as you want. I did not know that moonshine was Marty's resistance. And it wasn't 24 hours later, this motherfucker standing out in his front yard taking a piss on the van in the driveway while his wife is screaming at him, you're no good, Marty, get the fuck out of here. We're done for good. You no good drinking son of a bitch. And apparently... This moonshine had been the tipping point to him going into a raging alcoholic state that he clearly was not ever supposed to access again. Of course, I felt terrible for it, but I didn't know. Of course, I felt bad as a catalyst, but it wasn't me that made the decision. It was him, right? He's pissing on her van because she wouldn't let him inside to use the restroom. Oh, Marty. Resistance. That was his gremlin. Marty overcame that gremlin again, though, because a couple months later, my girlfriend at the time wrecked her car falling asleep and had to have it towed back to the house. And guess who picked her up? Marty. Marty drops her off and is like, I used to live in that house next door. Like, oh, yeah, I know Heath and all this shit. I I plumbed the drain and it all came full circle, but. This is resistance, right? This is what we're talking about. You got to use your pain as fire to light you up and do not numb it. Don't use substances and external shit to numb it. Embrace the fact that you crave that shit. Embrace the fact that it takes everything that you have to say no. Because if you can do that over and over again without breaking the seal, you get really fucking strong. You get really, really strong. And when you get that strong, that's when your foundation has been created to pursue all of the hardest things in the world that you always thought you weren't strong enough to pursue. Your dreams, your visions, your goals, 
leaving the boxy life that you've been routinely integrated into by your surroundings. I get to talk today to Ian Hoyt, who is a very brilliant, genuine stand-up dude. I met him in Bulgaria. Uh, Not only is he an ultra-sex god who looks like Nicolas Cage, but he's super smart, which is a lot of the attraction of wanting to talk to him again. I, I got to spend some time with him as a group and some alone time with him, and I like talking to people like this. You know, surround yourself with people who stimulate your brain. He stimulates my brain and my nipples. Makes them real hard. Um, Ian is very unique. And when I say that, I mean, there's a lot of respect on so many different levels with what he's doing. And we talk a lot about travel. We talk a lot about... um, nomading if you want to use the term but in the in the opinion of the beautiful brain sheltered within my skull travel is the most magical and effective form of education the experience of differing worlds the virgin interactions with culture the pure disconnection from our routine lives all of these things are packed with infinite wisdom humility growth, and opportunity. There is simply nothing that gets me high like world travel. Creating things does too. But those two things, hand in hand, it's like left boob, right boob. I'm squeezing them both. I had the honor... (laughs) I had the honor of meeting Ian. (laughs) Oh, man, I made myself laugh. (laughs) I had the honor of meeting Ian while on one of his life nomading trips in Bulgaria a few weeks ago. Ian started this travel resource as a blog many years ago that was called Life Nomading, kind of in the heat of dropping out of college to pursue his higher calling, which was basically a stab at entrepreneurship. So from slinging aviation t-shirts and learning how to fly airplanes for Microsoft Flight Simulator to building charging cubes for electronic devices in a creepy basement with some weird dude. Ian obviously didn't think the guy was too weird, but I guarantee you this was a weird situation and there were things happening in that basement that he didn't want to admit to. Ian took several risky leaps towards entrepreneurship and following his muse before hitting his rock-bottom fetal position attack from resistance. Kind of like Marty's, kind of like mine, kind of like yours. We all have our own fuel. We all have our own resistance. How do we use the fuel to get over the resistance is the question. In this episode, Ian and I dissect his journey from anxiety and resistance to creating transformational travel experiences within Life Nomading, this travel company that he's created. We both wholeheartedly value efforts to help facilitate the exploration of personal growth through experience. We both love it to death. And this episode takes a deep dive into why it's so important to break out of your comfort box and create the life that you love. And how world travel really opens you up to understanding that much faster than other things. 
they've got some upcoming trips. One to Iceland um, in March, I believe. They've got one coming up to Bulgaria again next summer. And then in September of next year, Portugal, which I might actually be at myself, which will be very heavily based around wine tasting experience. You can check all those out at lifenomading.com slash trips. They're on Instagram at lifenomading. And all the show notes for this will be at heatharmstrong.com forward slash 25 or heatharmstrong.com forward slash podcast. I'm going to dive right into this episode. But yeah, hit me up on social media at Heath Fist Pumps. You can leave voicemails or questions for the show at heatharmstrong.com slash voice. None of you really take advantage of that, but I would love to hear some questions or some comments or like anything. I would love it if you guys would send me some stuff there. And it's super easy. You just go to it and click the thing and it records right there and sends it to me. Um, I'm getting ready to head off to Africa. So maybe I'll get a couple more episodes in before we bounce. And then, yeah, love all of you very much. We'll jump right into this episode. Here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stickity stickity riggity dickity beat. Yeah, baby. <clears throat> now, let me start at the very beginning. Why didn't you have breakfast? I totally forgot. I'm doing a, um, a liver and golf cleanse. I started six days ago. And so the first five days are relatively easy, except you have to t- drink like, I mean, you, you got to cut out anything dirty in your diet, obviously, but you got to drink 40 ounces of like unfiltered organic apple juice each day, um, which is kind of hard for me because it's so much sugar. Sugar, yeah. And I generally don't consume that. I mean, I know it's natural sugar, but still that much, it's like different. You're not used to consuming it. And then the the last day, which is today, basically purge day, uh, you drink 40 ounces before two and then you fast uh, and then you drink like two, two cups of Epsom salt with hot water. Really? Like not two cups of the salt, but I think it's like diluted two, two tablespoons of salt in a couple cups of hot water. You drink two of those 
over the course of like two hours. And then you drink a cup of olive oil mixed with, I mean, it's like three, three quarters of a cup of olive oil mixed with half cup of, uh, citrus, grapefruit and lime juice. Then you take some like valerian root and basically try to go to sleep. Then you just wake up in the middle of the night and you start shitting yourself. So you might shit your bed. I feel like all our conversations have revolved around shitting yourself. (laughs) Well, when you're eating food in Bulgaria, then you shit yourself for sure. (laughs) But the, the point of this cleanse is to basically, everybody has gallstones that build up. So it cleans your liver out, but it also passes the gallstones. So the sugar over the period of the week softens them. And then the final kick cleans it out and it's not painful or anything, but it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, it is crazy. It's really good for you. That's interesting. Yeah. This, this leave it to you to be trying something new. (laughs) This act, this amazing gangster, like Chinese acupuncturist dude. He, uh, his name's Zion, but when I first met him, he was just reading like a 500 page ancient, it looked like it was from like the 1700s ancient Chinese encyclopedia. So he recommends doing it once every month. <laughs> so you so, trust him. <laughs> this is my second time around. <laughs> it was pretty miserable the first time because I never actually passed anything. So I'm hoping, which I guess is kind of common the first time around, but. Do you think the passing of it will hurt? No. No, I mean, it just feels like your Cartman in South Park with explosive diarrhea, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. I used to live with a dude in college who sounded a lot like Cartman, and he also sounded like that when he shit, so. I'm sorry. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to turn the videos off. Can you turn your camera off for the recording of this? We're already recording, by the way, but. I'm just going to okay. turn them off in case we have some interference. Although I like to look at you. You're a very attractive I'm, man. I'm a beautiful face. <laughs> Ian Hoyt, everybody. The pensive cricket. The pensive cricket. You were <laughs> you uh, the, uh, what were you again? You were the. Ah, uh, what was I? Something Viking. Oh, wait. Structure, no, uh, that was structured daddy. Uh, <laughs> that was Miko. Uh, I forget. Something Viking. We'll say glorious Viking or something. It, it was something like, yeah, I, I don't remember, but call, I don't know. But we were playing a game. We played a name game in the uh, Bulgaria, right? Varna. Yes. It was an authentic That's related type name game where you essentially name the people to your left and right with the person on the other side of them as well. You, you kind of both throw something out there and it involves an adjective and a, and a noun. and. Uh, that's where pensive cricket came from. So you weren't too happy. Pretty about accurate. That name, I mean, but it's I wasn't good. too happy because it's probably accurate. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. Ian, you, you. So, I'm interested to talk to you because one, obviously, you're a founder and you run Life Nomading, which LifeNomading.com, correct? Straight up. Yes. Yep. Which is and- the experience that I kind of went on in Bulgaria with you and Mitko and and the crew. Yep. And, but there's a lot of stuff I don't know about you. And before we dive into that, I do know a couple things. I know that you've got quite the genius. Um, it's, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I mean, everybody has their Damon 
and everybody's daemon wants to work through them. And that's kind of this like creative muse. And everyone has a creative genius, but for most of us, it can feel a lot like resistance. In the beginning, we, we kind of keep putting it off. It's that thing that pulls our sleeve, but we're really scared of it. But then once we start doing it or kind of living with it, it it's the easiest thing in the world to jibe with from that point on because you realize how, how strong of a relationship you have with it. Yeah. Um, I feel like you have quite a big genius that I don't even know about. I know you've, you're, you're living in Manhattan, but you're traveling a lot. You create these experiences around the world for people through life nomading. But also, we both lived in the same neighborhood in Hilliard, Ohio at one point <laughs> that we found out. Yeah, which is, in literally, I, yeah, the literally, like a street away from each other. Not at and the same I, time, but. I drove there a couple of weeks ago. When I was driving oh, really? back to Portland, I went through to see my grandmother in Columbus and I drove up to Hilliard to see that house I used to live in. Dude, it was crazy. It was weird. And I saw the, the condo area that you had lived in. And it's just small world type stuff, man. Like who would have ever thought? And then you're like, all right, time to go back to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got out of there pretty quick. Also, I know that you're a maniac at flying drones. I single-handedly witnessed you drop a, <laughs> drop a drone on the top of a oh yacht gosh. in the middle of the Black Sea with the help of the captain who has some insane shack-like swatting skills. And like thick skin, literally, because <laughs> it didn't tear up his hands at all. Yeah, you, I mean, you had some, so basically we're out in the Black Sea. He's got, the, Ian's got his drone up in the air and, and I'm like, man, we're moving. So I don't know how to fly one of those things. Obviously, I know you're a pilot. Um, on the side mm -hmm. also right and yeah. so I trusted that you had the skills to do it but there wasn't it there was a moment there where you were getting pretty nervous because you were like man I don't know like what was going through your head in that in that second when you were trying to land this thing well I was like I was definitely more concerned about everyone's safety on the boat than the drone itself <laughs> like my train of thought with any like um, equipment that I use to make things is like that's what it is. It's equipment. So I'd rather use it and lose it than not use it at all. So I was like, I'm going to throw this up because I think I could get some really cool shots. Um, but I don't know how I'm going to get it back. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, when it like disconnected from my controller, I was like, uh Oh, I think it actually is going to be gone. But um, we had quite the uh, quite the endeavor trying to get it back onto the ship. Uh, but we managed to do so. Yeah, but like it was the most dr insane managed it's, it's to do dramatic. so ever. <laughs> I mean, it was like a scene out of like if there was a drone movie. I feel like this would be. The I scene. was, I was super seasick, and I just remember kind of like gazing over, watching this whole situation, and you up there, <laughs> the captain standing there, and this thing coming in, and then going back out, coming back in, and trying to get the perfect shot to just drop it i mean and of course it's got these propellers that are flying around everywhere which is why it makes it dangerous and uh as it gets close you kind of went for it at one point and he just he just slapped the thing it was going off to the side a little bit i guess and that yeah that motherfucker just slapped it down as hard as he could well and like, i mean <laughs> the drama is right like there's only so much battery life so you get oh, yeah. so many tries at this and you know, you have the variable of like the waves and, you know, obviously how quick the boat is moving. 
and finally I'm just like, okay, I, I just need to try it because I'm not going to get any better. So I gave it one last shot. And that's when, <laughs> that's when the captain did captain duties and, and got it down. He How loved did those... it. He was, he was having a ball <laughs> oh, though. Dude. Yeah. I mean, that was like the most ultimate assist. Yeah. Just what a badass. Tipped him well How... for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Luckily we didn't have like a giant gush coming out of his hand, like gushing yeah. blood could have easily been that way but it wasn't so how was the footage did you i don't think i ever saw any of those aerial views did you end up getting anything oh yeah Uh, eventually i'll get around to catching up to edits um but yeah the the footage is pretty cool we didn't get like a ton of it but just enough to use it where we need it it's funny because you know i'll drone for who knows like 30 45 minutes and at the end of the day, I'm only using like five seconds. So it's like, yeah, we got what we needed to get. So. <laughs> that was always my problem when I would get like a nice camera was I would go out and take all this amazing footage, but then I never, ever would go through and upload or edit it because it was such a process. You wouldn't believe how, I mean, because <laughs> I edit vlogs, like I try to upload as frequently as possible and you just wouldn't believe uh there's probably 20 or 30 like vlog videos that are just like all that video footage is sitting in files. Yeah. So much footage. It's crazy. Dude. It, it's heavy. Yeah. You're, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's heavy. But... It takes so much data up in like, I go through so many hard drives and, but eventually it'll be worth it. I mean, it's really cool to document a lot of your life because then you never know what you're going to use it for. But you know, a few years pass and then you go back and you're like, oh, I can pull that and it can be really relevant to whatever I'm working on, which is really cool. Yeah, that is beautiful. And I, I mean, with the storage, it's probably difficult also having to share that with all of Mitko's Bulgarian porn. <laughs> you know, oh, he's man. getting a little out of control with that stuff. But how, how did you be? So I know you're brilliant with photography, videography. You've you've done work with companies on, I think maybe a consulting level. How did you become a pilot? When did you start that? Has that been kind of like, were you the kid that was putting together like model airplanes? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of layers to, I mean, I think when you started to mention the whole like creative process and like figuring it out for yourself, like there's a lot of layers to that. Um, but the very first layer really revolves around, um, aviation and also photography. Um, I started flying when I was, uh, I want to say 15. Yeah, 15. And you can't get your license until you're 17. So um, I was flying for two years, um, preparing to get my pilot's license. And I got into that because of like Microsoft Flight Simulator. And I quickly just fell in love with not only aviation and and the fact that you can get in an airplane and go somewhere else, but the travel aspect of it as well. So that's kind of my gateway into like travel and adventure was through aviation. So like seeing the, the beauty of the world from a different perspective and wondering, you know, what's mm-hmm. a little bit farther. I can see how that can be extreme. Cause yeah. like, I don't, I don't think I ever went on a plane until I was probably, close to, you know, 17, 18. And I certainly never left the country until I was in my late twenties. Yeah. I, I mean, I was fortunate enough, like when I was a younger, like very young, like I'm talking like four or five, you know, we would go down to 
Florida from Ohio, you know, to Disney and stuff. And we'd get on airplanes. So I was exposed to it pretty quickly, but um, it wasn't until I started taking flying lessons where I had like really aha moments while I was flying, being able to see indefinitely and realize that like not everyone in the world gets to on a weekly basis see a perspective like I'm seeing and and that was really powerful to me um and I think it put a lot of things in perspective literally um that I don't think the average person gets gets to have so quickly in their life yeah there's probably a lot of gratitude hugging that experience for sure that's amazing I mean such great heights right yeah and how how do you think those early experiences of being in that plane affected your pursuit of life from a travel basis going forward? I think, um, you know, I think actually it's kind of weird. Um, I think flying and becoming a pilot had more, um, more motivation for more inspiration, I guess, for me entrepreneurially and, and from a like life pursuit standpoint than it did actually on the travel side of things. So like, even though it really exposed me to the freedom that is flying and getting from one place to another in no time at all, relatively to, you know, what our predecessors, I guess, or is that the word for people before us? Yeah. Yeah. Like, had um but it it was more inspirational for me because it actually made me become more mature uh very quickly because i i had to you know take this piece of aluminum through the air and not die um so like there's a level of like uh responsibility and maturity that a 15 year old doesn't have that when you're <laughs> learning to fly you have to um so from that aspect i learned a ton. Um, but I think like, I just realized that opportunities are out there. And like, there's metaphorically through flying, I realized that like, you can really do whatever you want. And like, I know that's (laughs) maybe an oversimplification of things. But I realized that like, there is no bar for like what you want to do or like where you want to go. And that was pretty powerful to me, which is ironic because the aviation industry, which is different, um, is very regimented, very operational and very like, you know, you are in your order and you do this and don't ask questions. It's very militaristic. Um, But the act of flying is very creative and very liberating. So it's kind of a very that's why I'm not a pilot or an airline pilot is it's just too restrictive. It's not creative. Um, but flying I love. Yeah. I feel like whenever I am in a plane and I do a lot of writing, I mean, I'm a writer for the most part of my creative pursuits and the ideas, man, the higher I am up or the lower, whatever you want to call it, the closer to outer space, the more just pours into me. So I can see when you were talking earlier about getting up there and just, having these ideas hit you and opening up your passages. That's a real thing. Like the closer I get, yeah. it's, it just comes out and I'm on a plane. I'm like, I put my head against the seat in front of me cause I'm so tall and like, I can't move anyways. 
So I just like lean forward and then I look down and I create some sort of like blood pressure in my head. I know this is weird. And then like my head starts feeling like there's a lot of pressure and then these ideas just start pouring out. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I have my most like, I always have so much work to do when I'm on an airplane and I'm like, I'm going to do work and it never ends up actually happening because I know that I am most inspired and it's like truly meditative, like meditative yeah. for me to sit there and think like internally on myself while I'm on an airplane. Um, I've found that like, I've just had my most like inspirational moments for myself on airplanes. So how do you Not deal with that when Caroline is chatting in your ear the whole time and won't shut up? <laughs> uh, she actually, we're very like, we, we don't really talk that much on, on airplanes. <laughs> and also I think she might be nervous too on airplanes nowadays. So, um, it's, it's kind of weird. Cause I also get kind of nervous on like, uh, airlines. Um, at, at yeah. least lately I've been more and more like, um, like a nervous flyer, which is really weird. Um, but I think it might have, cause to you don't have that control. Yeah. The control aspect of knowing what's going on, but not being able to be a part of it. It's um, like when people are like, have a safe flight and you're like, yeah, I can't control that at all, but thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. What kind of a plane do you fly? When I fly, I typically am flying like a small single engine airplane, uh, four seater, typically like it's called a Cessna 172 Skyhawk. Um, but you know, I, I, I've flown various airplanes. Um, I don't get to do it as much as I used to just because, uh, life and, uh, access to an airplane is hard when you're, yeah, do you have to like go to a farm and rent one <laughs> from an airport or what, how does that work? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like renting, well, not really. It, it, you rent it by the hour. So um, you would go to an gotcha. airplane, get checked out and signed off that they trust that you know how to fly it. And then and that um, you'll bring it back. That you won't wreck it. And then, uh, yeah, you just fly it um, for as long as you want. So as, you as long as your wallet dive? will allow. I have not. I want to. Oh, dude. I have not yet. You should not do it when you're flying the plane, but you should definitely do it if you have somebody else to co-pilot that yeah one of my friends is a diving instructor so um he's been trying I, to convince me to do it i just haven't gotten around to it it's an interesting rush man because we're like i my body completely like the body is a fascinating thing and it has the ability like when you're sick to kind of take over and relieve pain and make you feel better when you physically like break your arm you know it can make your arm your body will basically send a Novocaine like substance to the area that numbs your arm. And so you can actually get something else to help you. It, when I went into an, an airplane to skydive, my body just completely shut me down and was like, all right, well, you're not making any decisions or doing anything. You're just going to relax. And I was like in a coma basically of just laying there and this guy's like attached to my back and he's like, all right, I need you to flip your legs out the side. And I'm just like, I can't even talk. I'm so calm. Like, yeah. I think I was so anxious that it just became this mass calming effect. And then when we went out of the airplane, yeah, I mean, I think my only job was to pull the chute, which I did not do. And he kept punching like me in the side, trying to get me to do it. But I didn't know why he was hitting me because <laughs> I did I was just in a sedated state, you know, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
my my friend says that happens a lot to first timers is that they just they kind of like black out and they don't like they don't pull the shoot <laughs> so like yeah <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. the best scenario <laughs> <laughs> for sure i mean I, I honestly hated the shoot part so much anyways i wish we would have just not pulled it for a while but it made me very <laughs> sick and dizzy once the shoot was open but before that it was amazing yeah you have that huge rush and then all of a sudden you stop and then the temperature is no longer cold with all the air blowing it gets really warm and then you're kind of spinning and you get dizzy and it's like uh it's it's not fun yeah. I but i also get you know i get motion sickness so maybe not for everybody yes we learned that on on the sailboat <laughs> i feel bad man you had to had to endure that oh it's all it's all good i still have it was it was what it was it was amazing to see calvin with his shirt off you know nobody not all not all people in the world could see a a glistening bronze god in his pectorals <laughs> flexing across the black sea oh man <laughs> so dude how did your entrepreneurial pursuit get started and i'm I'm interested in that because I don't think I've ever asked you. Obviously, now you're part of life nomading, which is just one of the fractional things that you do is you're creating experience for people around the world to sort of understand the educational and kind of growing power of travel and, and experiencing new culture. Like in the Midwest, which did you grow up in Ohio? Yeah, Ohio, born yeah. and raised. Yep. Yeah, so it was weird how many Ohio people that were out there. I, I claimed Tennessee, but when I was younger, I was in Ohio. And in the Midwest, it, it feels very stuck in a box. Like the, the mindset for many people is very closed. The farther you get from outside of the international type cities like Columbus or Cincinnati, and even in the cities. Yeah. And when you create these experiences for people, I think one of the things I noticed out there was, I mean, I had done some travel, so I was more tuned in, but watching the transformation of others that really weren't as much so into that go from extreme fear to extreme fearlessness, it was exhilarating, man. And I, and I think obviously that's probably one of the reasons why you create these experiences um, and why doing something like this matters because you see the effect. Like when I write something, I know the inspiration that comes from the muse that goes into that, or when I do a podcast or any type of creation, it's going to probably inspire someone somewhere to, to make a step that goes forward for them. And then, you know, it's a spider web effect. It's fascinating to see that transformation. I'm curious about how you got, how that even started for you. And, and like, what were you doing from an entrepreneur standpoint before that? I mean, you started flying planes with the flight simulator and then actually getting into planes and starting to get that idea of, of how open, you know, this world is to no limits. What was that transformation like to get from there to now? It was very long. Uh, at least it feels, well, I mean, it feels progressive, but, um, yeah, I, I've done a lot of different things from a entrepreneurial standpoint. Um, you know, I started flying when I was in high school and, my biggest motivation was to get to college. I was so excited to go to college. And then I got there and I went to OU, Ohio University, and um, just the, the Bobcats. Yeah, the Bobcats. First year I was in like business, like class 101. And 
on the side, I was doing the classic, you know, I started a t-shirt company for aviation and I was running that out of my, out of my dorm room as a cliche classic story. And what um, is aviation? Aviation. Just, just, that was just the subject of the t-shirts or yeah, was that an actual so, like organization you were working with? No, I was selling to the aviation industry. So like pilots. So which is big knew, around that area, right? Because of it's the yeah, history it's, of flying in Ohio. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I had started that because that's like all I knew was aviation. And I've always been kind of like, I want to start things, sell things. I've been doing it my even when I was younger. Um, but <laughs> You know, I, I was in that business class and I, I remember one day just hearing the professor talk about like running a radio station and talking about entrepreneurship and realizing that this guy had never started anything and it pissed me off. And <laughs> from then on out, I started not going to classes and just focusing on the t-shirt thing and started to grow it and sell through different distribution channels. And long story short, um, after that first year of college, I dropped out and kind of haven't looked back. Um, but that it, was, it, that it, was before like print on demand, right? Say that again. Sorry. There, there weren't, th that was before print on demand, like t-shirt sites. Right. That was, I mean, yeah, yeah, it was, it was probably right before around that era of stuff. And, um, yeah, I had to learn like, oh, people want payment terms. Oh, like I have to like buy inventory. What's an invoice? What's a, what's a yeah. purchase order? Like I was literally <laughs> like learning myself through just doing stuff that I didn't realize I was doing. Um, which what year was that? 20, what? 2012, I guess. So yeah. So you're, now. yeah, you're a little bit younger than me. I mean, when I was in college about that time, you know, would have been the same scale as, as the time frame in your life. I actually started a site called Hillary Clinton is a man.com. And <laughs> I was also doing some entrepreneurial things with it, but eventually the federal government literally shut that site down. It took the seal over and everything when I got on there one day. So I think I'm on their watch list, but <laughs> It does start like even now looking at myself and I did a podcast a couple episodes ago about all the things that I tried to get to the point that I'm at now and all of the things that didn't work out and all the things that did. And it's fascinating. So that's cool that it started with t-shirts for you. Yeah, it was, um, it was a great learning curve. And then, I mean, from there, I mean, I quickly realized I like poorly priced t-shirts and, uh, <laughs> like, you know, it, it was what it was and lasted for like two years. And then, um, and then I moved on to a couple other different concepts. And I think everyone that's an entrepreneur knows like, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you try and don't work and you just move on. Um, but well, everything's a learning. Something that really didn't work after that. Oh boy. I, I try not to talk about this cause I'm actually kind of embarrassed by it, but oh, you, um, <laughs> well, now we got to <laughs> talk about it. I had uh, partnered with uh, another guy um, to do what we were calling Octopod, which was we are going to sell little stations to restaurants with all the different cord tentacles for like charging. And uh -huh. um, 
then we would like sell ad space on top of the like council of the and i mean you see it nowadays at like restaurants and bars and stores where you can like charge your stuff that's yeah. essentially what we were trying to do but i honestly think it was like kind of early and um it wasn't the right setup so it ended up changing into just selling portable batteries which is like the least gratifying thing you can ever do with your life um, <laughs> And I spent a year, no joke, barely leaving um, the basement of my business partner's condo because I could stay for free there <laughs> and build this thing. And uh, yeah, it was pretty like, it was a pretty terrible year because I was like all by myself and just trying to figure out like entrepreneurship and you have all this motivation the basement. but you don't see the results. Yeah. I've um, seen some basements in my day. <laughs> yeah. So that was a, a low point, but again, it's like, everything's a learning opportunity and um, like, it, there's no way I would get to where I'm at now without all those different steps. And um, you know, it, I felt lost a lot from, you know, leaving college to now, you know, like from a business journey, from a, like, what is my purpose and like, what's the point? Um, but I'm starting to really, really jive and like accept that you can't be everything, but try really hard at being something like, you know, one thing. And, and that helps a lot. Did you ever feel like, did you ever get so low in any of those situations to where you felt like you should have gone back to college or considered doing that or getting like a regular job or anything? The resistance gremlins sneak in and try to try to derail you. Yeah, um, you know, I a hundred percent not the college thing. Um, I was pretty convicted that I made the best choice possible with that. But um, the reality of it is, is sometimes you got to pay the bills, and sometimes there's no money to pay those bills. And so um, I ended up after that the octopod debacle thing i i ended up lasting six months at a at a creative agency where i started to really dig into my kind of creative arm and um realize that there's actually opportunity for that to also you know make you a living um and so i hated it because it wasn't my thing you know i'm you know i don't do well with working for someone else blah 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 um but you're good. I, you're, you're a nice piece of eye candy to have around. So. <laughs> yeah. That's why the clients loved me. Uh, but I learned so a creative lot. agency. You were, you were basically, is that kind of like consulting for other companies or working with them creatively? I was a content strategist. So basically that meant I did everything that a designer or, um, yeah, a designer didn't do. So I did a lot of copywriting. I did like, marketing stuff but we were mainly creative so i was doing a lot of copywriting and video editing um yeah. even though i shouldn't have been the person doing that um but that's kind of how creative agencies work sometimes so um yeah i lasted six months which felt like two years and ultimately i had like a like a fetal position breakdown um <laughs> that caused me to take the next leap which was starting my own agency because that seems logical after you have a, a anxiety breakdown from was that just 
yeah, what was it from? Was it was it just overwhelm of I, of not being was, in control of everything you were doing? Yeah, I think I was like really like really kind of I don't know if depressed is the right word, but that it that I wasn't following my own thing and also I was doing like, you know, 10 probably hour days at the office and then coming home and then having my own freelance clients oh, yeah. and trying to work <laughs> on back then I even had life nomading as a blog. So I was, I was trying to do everything and I was doing nothing great and it was stressing me out. And yeah, that's kind of when the, the, it broke, you know? Yeah. It's, it's true, man. It really, it's really like a buildup of a volcano and then an explosion. And then I, one of my mentors, Dave Lent, and this guy is, he's in his eighties now. He's brilliant. Um, I interviewed him one of the very first interviews on my first podcast, Artsy Now. And the things that he said to me over, over time have just always stuck with me. And he has this fascinating way. And he's done interviews with people like Stephen Tobolowsky, B.B. King, Linus Tarbus, who created Linux. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlos Santana, like he said, he, he was a guy who went into the San Quentin prison for the first time with a video camera and a dude got stabbed and murdered right in front of his lens. Wow. Uh, and then that was the first, yeah, it was the first time they ever let cameras into San Quentin and that's what happened. And he got it on film, but he always said like, cause when I was talking to him, it was always about, I, I was always say things about how depressed or something that I was in this industry that I was working in, which was concrete construction in Kentucky. Um, and I felt a lot like you were just explaining most of the time. And, and he just always would be like, this is a money hustle, right? You have to, you have to kind of pull yourself out of your body and look at this as and pay respect to it as in like, this is what pays the bills as you were mentioning before. But there is a point that comes there, man, where it's like, I cannot do this anymore. You know, it is fetal position. Like the money hustle is there. And my sister just went through it. She finally left her job last week and she had been having, I I watched this progress that she was making where she was being so positive about the job and the support that it had for her. But eventually it just starts crippling you. And that's kind of like the, the tale from the universe of like, maybe it's time, maybe it's time to make the leap. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, and I don't, (laughs) I used to, I think also there's been that aspect of like in the past caring, not realizing it, but like caring what maybe other people thought, like, am I actually, sorry, there's a siren. I live in New York. Uh, (laughs) Like is, am I actually an entrepreneur? Like, am I just weak, you know, for lack of better words, or am I not a purebred, you know, like bullshit stuff that am I allowed to cuss on this? (laughs) Um, That like, um, that really doesn't matter. And I think just with maturity and like over time, you realize that those things don't matter. And that's why I've gotten better at being able to cope with some of those stressors. But like, I think it's an ebb and flow. I think as an entrepreneur, like um, depending on your risk level, um, you're going to have to go through those. You're going to have to like have moments of, like you said, like where it's just, a, it's, you got to pay respect to the cash um, and, and know that that's going to be um, part of your existence, I guess. If, you, I if you're under like an anxiety attack, even these days, I'm sure they, it still gets to you at some point. I mean, 
there's no yeah. point in in acting like it, it doesn't like most i just a lot of entrepreneurial stuff in interviews i hear like i like raw weird real stuff and i know that everyone deals with hard shit um if you are in that position where you're really having a hard time and you're you're kind of faced with the decision that you're not sure what direction to go and you're feeling anxiety or resistance or fear. How do you personally make that decision? It's a great question. Um, I'm like a blind gut guy. So, um, yes. You know, yeah. So like, you know, recently I I've, I mean, quite, um, honestly, like in tandem with life nomading, I was in one of those transitions. I had, you know, going back to like when I left to start my own thing, I managed to make that work for about four years. And it wasn't until about, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, where, um, where I hit a stopping point, like we were growing, and then it just all of a sudden, overnight, there's just no more business. And I had to go into one of those phases again, where I, you know, I, I luckily was able to join one of my friends companies and help um, be a part of a startup. So, you know, I wasn't really an entrepreneur, but I was at least getting that itch a little bit. But, you know, recently, I, I, that thing started to creep in like that, that anxiety, and I started having, um, you know, more nights where I was getting more anxious about the things that back when I had that kind of breakdown, I was feeling. And that's when I realized I was like, what is my gut telling me I have to give I have to give these trips and life nomading the the opportunity to be successful and and that's not going to happen unless I you know I dive in. And so yeah, I'm just a gut guy. I when I when I feel something logic rarely creeps in and I just have to go at it and then I figure a way out. <laughs> yeah, it's we a lot of us like to pay attention to our heart and our mind, but it's it's amazing how much we leave out the gut. You know, the heart and the mind have the arguments all the time about, and I've mentioned this before on podcasts, but just like, it's like a junior high prom, you know, where the heart's like, why don't you trust me? And the mind's like, baby, I'm just scared. And they go back and forth. But then eventually (laughs) you have the gut that's, you know, smoking a cigar in the corner, drinking some fine wine. And it's like, hey, you know, when you two are done arguing about nonsense, I'll show you the treasure map. Yeah. And it has been for my life, everything that has progressed from, you know, face down, pants down in the bushes, alcoholic lifestyle that I used to have to now has been my ability to learn how to flow with my intuition mm-hmm. and to just not hesitate, right? It's it's not that we need more motivation. We just need to break our habit of hesitating. And I think the world around us is built with the marketing kind of platform and whatever is, is stuffed, you know, double stuffing our face and our ass all over the world. It's just that the idea that you're not good enough and you need more motivation, you need more inspiration. Like you yourself, you can't do this, but if you buy this, you can, if you read this, you can, if you watch this movie, you can, but that's bullshit. And to, to understand that all the power that you have is actually just jiving like a disco internally. And then being able to just notice that resistance as hesitation and be like, okay, I'm going to break that habit of hesitating this time. I'm not going to think about it. Cause when you think you're hesitating, I'm just going to do it. I, I think it's like the quarter thing, man. Like when you flip 
a coin about a decision, you always know which side you want it to land on. That's intuition. So if you have a really hard time with, hey, I want to leave my job and, and pursue this thing, or no, I should stay at my job a couple more years until I feel more comfortable. Like if you sit with that and kind of envision yourself living both lives, like give yourself three minutes with each different scenario and picture yourself with your eyes closed, living those two different lives. It's pretty clear which one feels better and which one you want to move to. And it's usually the one that excites you the most. And I think that's why we're alive. Um, yeah. And, and typically it's like, I also have the whole, like to what end playing back in my mind when I say I sit down and I think about those two different routes, it's like, but to what end? Okay, I could stay in X job or X position, but to what end? Like, and, and ultimately, like you said, it is what excites you the most. Like when I sit down and I'm like, oh, I can have these impacts for these people that are going on these trips. And like that for me gets me so freaking amped. Do I have the answer <laughs> on how I can like get more people to do that and like make it sustainable? No. But that's my North Star. That's like, that for me is my fuel. Like that's enough for me to figure out all the other details in, in progress. So like on that note, and it is a beautiful thing watching that transformation of others. And for me, it's, I often can forget uh, what I've created in the past, what's out there that's helping people. And then I'll get a message from someone and it's just, it's a reminder of like, they might be saying thanks or like what I got from your creativity has helped me do this, something along those lines. And it is so much more valuable to me than anything like financial, you know, or monetary or any other type of reward I can think of. And it's why I continue to do the stuff that I do. When you're in this experience of life nomading or even any of your entrepreneurial pursuits where you're helping people kind of open that gate, do you have any memories of like one time that like a story of one transformation or one experience that somebody had that just like blew your mind or lit you up? And I'm sure you have a lot of these, but I mean, I witnessed a couple in Bulgaria. Alone. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but I you've mean, been to Iceland and all these other places. And I'm just wondering if there was one that sticks out to you. Yeah. I, I think the, yeah, I've, I've had a, a good amount of, those type of moments in varying scenarios. But I, I feel like uh, recently when we were all in Bulgaria, um, we had a, a trip goer, uh, her name's Jen, which I'm sure you're <laughs> thinking about. But, um, you know, halfway through the trip, we headed off to a small village in uh, called Suzopol, which is on the Black Sea. And um, she was getting into her uh, apartment for the two days we were there, or three days. and. Um, we ended up walking and, you know, going up to her apartment and she was, she dropped all of her bags and she was standing on the porch overlooking the ocean or sorry, the sea. <laughs> and she was crying and, you know, Caroline and myself, uh, went up there and we were just up there and like, we started crying and it was, it, that, that is 100% like I, I'm tearing up just thinking about it again because it's like that is exactly why I wanted to do these trips and I never actually thought that people like I know the impact that travel had for me and and I 
I never knew if I could help facilitate that. But when I saw her standing there, just looking out and realizing like she, she can have moments, she can like break away from her daily life and, and, and try new things. Even if she is in her forties and has never left the country before she had that moment where she's like, this is my moment. I can, I can be a new, I can, I, I can be the new gen. I can try new things. And that was super impactful for me. And it, it just solidified why we do what we do. And Caroline and I, like a couple of days later, we just looked at each other and we're like, yeah, we have to like it. It is our responsibility in the world to make sure that this can happen more. <laughs> so that view for one, is worthy of crying no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Two, she became probably the most fearless person there after coming in probably the most fearful. Yeah. And she would just like be like, all right, I'll see you all later and just wander off like no phone, no ability to really, we didn't really know she'd never been there before. So it was like, um, she going to be all right. Yeah. Like she's going to make it back. But like always it was, it was, it was a beautiful thing to see. And it was just like, uh, magic it was it was truly magic like and and it yeah there's really no words like it yeah it's it was kind of (laughs) awesome yeah man well i want to shift gears for a second um because i know you're a really productive guy this podcast is pretty heavily around personal optimization and i'm very much interested in productivity and habits and You've been through the ringer, obviously, you know, shitting your pants in people's basements, putting together batteries and <laughs> working with Mikko, who's very sensitive about his calves. There's a lot of things that you've had to deal with in your, in your past. And I'm just wondering what, when you're working throughout the day, just forget long-term, but like in a single day setting, what kind of, are there any habits that you have that are pretty like fundamental for you to be productive and continue to accelerate at the, at the level that you do? Um, I have a couple. Um, I, I know this, I, I wish I had more, but I don't. Um, the first thing is, is just like getting up relatively the same time every day around like six or six thirty. So getting up, making coffee and having like an hour in the morning, a hundred percent to myself in the living room where I can kind of like dig into something that inspires me, whether it's like even Facebook ads or like, you know, whatever it is, um, <laughs> like just, it's totally like, it doesn't matter I what I do that to come out. Facebook ads. <laughs> I love Facebook ads. I, I, I hate to admit it, but, um, but like, no matter what I do, I don't have, I don't need to feel um, like I'm pressured to do something other than what I feel like I should be doing right then, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I make my coffee, I have my Chemex. It's like super therapeutic to like make that coffee every morning. And then after that, what I find that works best for me productivity wise is um, I literally just open up my Slack and um, I chat myself like five things I wanna get done that day. And it's super basic. It's just like five tactical things that when I go to bed, I would like to have done. 
And that's the only way I stay sane because there's so much to be done, especially when you're juggling like your own projects. And if you have a job um, and all the other things that are pulling your attention, I'm like, okay, five things. And then I put next to each one roughly like how many hours or minutes I think I can get that done in. And I don't spend any more time than I allot it in the morning. So that's really all I do during the day. <laughs> Dude, it's so effective. I, I teach the same sort of principle. I really just, I pick the two most important things. And then generally I'll have a couple more that are just less important, but also if I get the two done for the day, um, yeah. it's, it's basically the anchor of the sweet ass journal. It, it's having that vision right over a long period of time and understanding what things you can do that day to move towards it. And the fact that you're spending the time in the morning for an hour or so, and then you're, you're sending those things to yourself in, in Slack is it's almost the same principle as me writing down on a note card and holding it in my pocket. Um, but that's something that's not old news. Like this is something people have been doing to be productive forever. It's just intention. You know, are your intentions and your attention on the same path? And that's the key, not letting the clusterfuck of worldly distractions get in between all that stuff. Yeah. And don't try to overwhelm yourself. I, you know, with tools and productivity hacks or, you know, whatever, like <laughs> over the, it's ironic to like use a bunch of productivity hacks and tools to be productive. I, I, I find a lot of irony there because really you just need to simplify it um, and, and figure out what you need to get done every day. So true. I had my, I had my productivity hack freak out for a year or so. And now I'm so basic, man. Yeah. So basic. And it all comes down to paper and pen. And I don't even use digital calendars because it gets too distracting for me sometimes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm really, yeah. It's, it's about flowing and focus on what, what truly matters and being able to do that is not something that you need a lot of tools for. I think that's a very common misperception in the world of people pursuing things. People, I, I'm guilty of this too, especially like in my journey is like using tools and um, hacks as a crutch, like as an excuse not to actually yeah, it's execute resistance. on things. It's fucking resistance. It's like if you want to write a book and then you keep thinking that you need to read 10 more books on how to write a book, I'll just, I need to read this Bullshit. one more. It's, it's all resistance. Yeah. The only thing that that helps is just breaking the habit of hesitation and starting for sure. Yeah. If if you had if you if you fast forward to in say you have unlimited resources and, and freedom at your side, which I hope that you're already living a pretty big segment of that type of life. Uh, but if you could create anything in the world long term and sustainably, what do you think it would be? Ooh, ooh, that's um. <laughs> That's a big question. Um, I don't know that I know how to answer that. Uh, you know, like my whole thing is uh, emotional impact and and people being able to feel things, right? So, you know, the trips, my goal is to to grow that so that we can allow more people to have that kind of impact on their lives. But another aspect is I would love long-term at some point to be able to, um, to produce like a, a documentary of some sort. Cause I love 
documentary filmmaking um and and i'd love to be able to you know have the ability to to produce something like that on a on a larger scale to again have an emotional impact on people so i know that's kind of random but i think that's um, one of mine too man yeah it's beautiful yeah it's it's a beautiful way to have impact on people and um i'd love to be able to i i feel like i do it in a micro sense you know in a way but I'd love to do it on like a macro sense someday. So, yeah, it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful forms of media for sure. And I, I go Looney Tunes for the right type of documentary. I think for film sure. and like music and just any type of creative pursuit is always fascinating to me. Um, what's yeah. up? What's next with life nomading? Where are you guys, where are you headed? Yeah, so um, we're headed to Iceland in March 2020, um, and then beyond. What that, are the dates we, on that? Uh, March 7th to the 14th. Uh, so it's actually eight days. Um, which are you is, sold out on that? Or are you still open? We are about 50% sold right now, which is actually really exciting for being so early right now. Um, so if there's any guys out there too, I don't, I don't want to put gender on things, but. Uh, we've gotten a lot of female signups, but I want to try to like even it out. So it's oh, not really? just a female only <laughs> shut up. <you>. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, if, if anyone's interested, uh, that's well, either side, but anyway, um, we're going to, well, that's going to attract guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know. Um, and then we're going to Bulgaria again in August. Um, and then we're actually launching a Portugal trip um mm. for september because we we ended up scouting or like kind of going to portugal after our bulgaria trip and we happened upon this guy named ralph and he has a family uh, vineyard and he mm. invited us to harvest um randomly and long story short we're basically <laughs> recreating that epic experience that we had uh in the form of a trip to portugal uh, focused around wine, but also, of course, the beautiful Porto, Portugal, and northern Portugal. So, dude, the um, pictures from that looked amazing. It was, it was truly, truly an amazing experience for sure. It's one of those things you couldn't have planned, and uh, and that's kind of what we're all about. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. A lot of a lot of trips happening. I, I'm very fascinating fascinated by the uh the wine from around the world i'd love it i mean just cape town a couple years ago it, i learned i had a big learning curve with wine in 2016 where i lived in walla walla and it was like this little town with 200 wineries and you couldn't go anywhere without some wine snob like teaching you something and i hated it at first i was like oh they're, they're all kind of the same and then i started to actually understand the differences in the wines and like taste it and then and then it's just like, you, you can't go back once you do that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's fascinating. It, I've done like a lot of wine tastings and I love wine, but I never feel like I've retained the knowledge until we went to Portugal and this guy, he's like, you know, one tier below like the max you can get on the whole like West set, you know, certification, um, some stuff, but he basically made wine tasting cool. Like he is just a chill guy that loves wine and you know, the way he goes about it, 
actually allowed me to retain knowledge. So I actually know what the hell I'm looking for and talking about. And even through like tasting in the way he does it, I was like, oh, wow. So that's what got us really excited was like, oh, this is a way people can actually enjoy it without having like a wine snob, like (laughs) snooty, you know? Yeah, there's, I think that's what I enjoyed a lot about the Walla Walla area was there's so many different types and you find the ones that kind of jive with you. I mean, Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam Mm -hmm. was co-owning winery out there and it was very cool. It was, you could play, they had all sorts of different records. You could just pull one and play. Um, And then Neil Patrick Harris also. Oh, he lives a couple blocks away from me. (laughs) Yeah, it was all magician themed because, you know, he's a very big magician. And so it's just cool, different experiences, but particularly like, even like you're obviously a God of Rakia. Um, <laughs> I've never seen somebody pound so much Rakia as you yeah. and in such a pensive cricket type way that you did. <laughs> uh, and we, we, when we were in Bulgaria for a, an overview of everyone listening, you all are a very, organized and generous group for planning um, experiences. And we had this one day where we went and we started a hot pepper farm, which was amazing. And (laughs) I brought a lot of that hot sauce back with me, the Reaper and the um, chocolate habanero. And it's so good. Yeah. And, oh man, I love it. I'm putting it on everything, but after that, which was like an entire spread, we did this farm. It was amazing people running it. And then they created this whole table, which was a spread um, of different jelly. It wasn't just like tasting hot sauce. They had all these different things that they had made out of hot sauce, jams, spreads, and showing you the different levels that you could go on. And then we had kind of a, a hot pepper tasting contest or whatever. And after that, we went straight to a rakia tasting, <laughs> like, which is like Everclear in its own way. It's like moonshine, but personally, I felt like it was a little bit better. I, I enjoyed it oh, more. Yeah. Um, not as harsh, but thousands of years of talent or practice to get these things the way that they make it out there. And after doing hot pepper tasting, going straight to that, I was a little bit worried about how that was going to react with the body, you know, and... It was beautiful because right after the the Rakia, we went over to that amazing farmer's house and he made that just unbelievable spread of food, him and his wife. And, you know, they had grapes hanging above us while we were eating and just like unlimited food. As soon as you clear your plate, it was like more. Dude, and that's kind of the culture there is like this, this super hospitable, like, giving type of community it's so beautiful there's no shortage it's just like here here this is we're all here together we're all sharing this is community this is real community and and really eating experience i'll never forget that man i'll never forget it it was so much fun it was just one of the things that i look back on that entire trip of being through spain and romania and bulgaria and like that one day it really stands out to me that's Um, that's awesome to hear because it was kind of funny because um, initially, you know, we don't want to like force people to do things that they don't want to like, if you want to go out on your own and get lost, like that's kind of the whole point of us. We want to keep things loose so you can't do that. But that was the day where I was like, no one seems to be wanting to sign up to go on this. 
but I know in my gut, like this is going to be an epic day and people are going to love it. And so I was like, just, I wasn't trying to be forceful or anything, but I was like trying to convince people to go on this day with us. And I think, um, you know, that's awesome to hear that that was one of the highlights because I loved it. I thought it was a pretty unique and interesting day. And I think a lot of people felt the same way. Yeah. The families, man, the families that's, are that's it's just like, ah, uh, yeah, it was incredible. It was super hot outside and Calvin actually decided he was going to eat the Carolina Reaper, which I've made that mistake in the past. Oof, and yeah. he looked a little bit painful when we were at the Rakia tasting, but that's, that's what happens when you eat a Carolina Reaper. Yeah. I, I was, I was worried that was going to ruin the, ruin the rest of the day, but I think uh, everything sorted out pretty well. It so. just, it just wraps it all back around to, to Cartman explosive diarrhea from the beginning of the episode. <laughs> you know, that's what we like to do here. Full circle. And, <laughs> full circle. Um, Ian, dude, I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I could talk to you forever. Obviously I hope actually I will be seeing you. I hope in man, what a month, couple yeah. weeks, less than, less than a month. I'll be in New York. So I haven't been there since I was like, I want to say like 20 like in Manhattan or in the city. So it's been 13 years. Yeah. I'm excited Crazy. to see you. That'll be, that'll be fun. Um, yeah. Thank you for letting me uh, come on here and chat a little bit. It's been, it's been a long time since I've been on a, a, a podcast. That's not my own, just talking <laughs> to myself. Yeah, what is, what are, what are your, do you just have one podcast? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's very infrequent. It's sadly the, the labor of love type thing that doesn't, is it life nomading? Labor. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, we have a podcast life nomading, but, um, I would caution you to probably not go listen to it cause there's not many episodes, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Hey man, yeah. you never know the inspiration in those you episodes could, could change somebody's pursuit. I know Miko is running one, um, also, and I didn't real I didn't know if you were tied to that or not either. No, I I make some appearances on there sometimes. So I guess I have been on a podcast. Oh wow, you reminded me of things I totally forgot. So yeah, well, cool. Well, well, man, um, you guys are on Instagram at Life Nomading, correct? Yeah, Life Nomading, uh, which is Life Nomading N O M A D I N G. Uh, yeah, you can find us on Instagram or just go to our website, lifenomading.com. Um, and if you ever have any questions, anyone listening about travel or our trips or really anything about life, um, hit us up. We'd love to chat. Respect. The for last sure. question I have for you is, do you own any Bitcoin? <laughs> I own a very little amount of bitcoin it's one of those things like i remember in like when i was in high school being like oh i want to i want to get this thing that's like oh this bitcoin man thing. and i was like oh i can get this that thing gut. and then i think i got distracted and i didn't end up doing it and oh, then the gut was trying to tell you yeah and then now i'm like holy shit i could have had a lot of things or a lot yeah. of bitcoin but yeah i have like very very minimal amount of bitcoin everything worked out the way it was supposed to Agreed. Beautiful. Cool, man. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Take care of New York for me. I always take get care of Portland for me. New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. 
Portland is waiting for your arrival. Pensive cricket. Tell Caroline this, I said hello. Is this part of the episode still, or is this? <laughs> I'm stopping the recording now. There's a place called space and it's got the magic. There's a place called space and it's got the balls. There's a place called space and it's got the passion. There's a place called space where we can smash the walls. There's a place called space where we'll face fuck conformity and the chatter of incompetence is slaughtered at birth. In this place called space, we'll build a factory of smiles that will assemble with our minds and sell to Earth. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Todd. Um, Heath can be found on Instagram at HeathFistPumps. Leave us a little voice message and we might get a little bit kinky and share it on the show at HeathArmstrong.com forward slash voice. And I just wanted to give a shout out to you all today and say thank you for enjoying the show as much as I enjoy you, your essence, your smell. I've been watching you through your window and you look really good and mm, I might just come on in. Come on in, if you know what I mean. (laughs) 